Interviewing as a technique of gaining information is as old as humankind. Talking to people as a form of scientific inquiry about their experiences is fun, but also a methodological, moral and theoretical challenge. In the past decades, oral history has become a widely used research method in different disciplines. Given that oral history is a technique and a way of constructing histories, this series of podcasts tries to offer an overview of different ways of how to construct the information and how to analyze it in a wider methodological context. This podcast is designed for those who want to use interviewing as a method of collecting empirical material. It consists of eight sections. The first one is discussing oral history developments, basically the historiography. The second one is analyzing the politics of oral history, who are those who are using interviewing for political reasons. The third one is connecting the social and personal level. The fourth one is discussing ethical and legal dimensions. The fifth one is about practicalities, what to do, how to do, what not to do. The next one is discussing questions and questioning. The seventh one is discussing narrativity, as oral history is using narratives and to understand stories. And the last one, the eighth one, is about interpretation, how to analyze oral history, what are the limits and the possibilities. Every podcast is around 20 minutes each. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will find this podcast series useful. So welcome, welcome on the last topic, which is about interpretations. And again, let's start from a a quote, uh, which is about interviewing. So let's start from the interviewing, uh, analyzing what interviewing means, because that influences what we can get from the interviews, right? So we start with experiencing person and try to share his or her subjective view. Our task is objective in the sense we try to describe in with depth and detail. In doing so, so, we try to represent the person's view fairly and portray it as a consistent with his or her meanings. So what are the key concepts here? Experiencing a person. So experiencing is not understanding and not judging, right? So experiencing a person share his or her subjective view. So our task is to share, right? It's not to rewrite, it's not to mediate, but to share. And the sharing process sounds like an objective process. Uh, Our task is objective, we try to describe. So you are describing, you are making a story of it, right? Uh, Depth and detail. That's what you are actually looking for, the depths of the interview and the details. And you are trying to represent the person's view fairly and to portray it as consistent with his or her meanings. So in a sense, you are not imposing on the person the meanings of and your ideologies, because then you will get this response that this is not what I said, but trying to figure out what are his or her uh, meanings in this this context. So what can you do with oral history evidence? You can evaluate it, you can count it, 
and that is the new uh, digital humanities brought in this new kind of technical and methodological uh, possibility that you can actually use uh, certain softwares in order to count and make fabulous graphs from the uh, verbal clues which are on in the transcript. Uh, you can compare it. Uh, as it has been said several times, you have to be prepared for an interview, preparing approximately five hours to do one hour of interviewing. Therefore, you have a background knowledge of the person's lives, the context, uh, the background, and you are comparing it with the interview material. And you can cite that material, right? So that's what you can do with the, and the citation also has got its particular uh, uh, legal, ethical, and methodological concerns we have discussed before. So I very rarely use um, uh, graphs, but I think this, this is one of my favorite graphs, I have to say, uh, because when you are trying to look at the, uh, to analyze these interviews, you are trying to figure out certain lived realities of the interviewees. And this, um, uh, uh, the interview is the, uh, the uh, figure with the kind of velvet head saying, so you are interested in learning about my word travels. And then the interview is asking, yes, I'm doing a project for my sociology class on modern day explorers. And I think this kind of conflict, right, somehow addresses uh, those issues which I would like to uh, share with you in the future, which is how to you know, overbridge or how, what to do with these conflicting realities, the conflicting uh, uh, agendas, the conflicting ideologies, the conflicting uh, uh, points when you are doing analysis of the interviews. So when you are doing this interpretation, uh, there are basically two types of schools, I mean, very roughly. One which is this positivist and the other one which is close to psychoanalysis. The positivist is basically saying that what you hear is the truth, right? And then that is the story. And uh, uh, nowadays when you have got these digital uh, softwares, um, I mean, you don't have non-digital software, so I mean, when you have got these different softwares, they are basically enhancing the positivist interpretation of oral history testimonies. So that's a very interesting um, paradox I would like to uh, stress only as a footnote, that when you think that digitalization is creating a new paradigm and digital is you know, doing something revolutionary, actually digital humanities is promoting something, a, ve a very positivist conservative interpretation of the interviews. So uh, in this context, I just would like to urge you to think critically what these softwares can do and how you are actually using these softwares. And then the other, which is the psychoanalyst kind of interpretation, which is trying to figure out uh, the hidden meanings and the hidden discussions. So when you are doing an interpretation, you are basically doing, uh, looking at the internal consistencies of the, uh, of the, of the text, and you are uh, looking also for uh, seeking for confirmations from other sources. So you are looking at the text, and you are the best friend when you are doing an interpretation is the highlighter. 
So if you haven't purchased, I mean, it depends on if you are working on paper or if you are working on your computer, but highlighting the different themes and topics that's the most that is the starting point of course you know the computer offers you different variety of um, of colors what you can use but basically color coding the different um, topics and the different uh, themes uh, and then uh, look at the internal consistency of those stories and then you are looking for confirmation from other sources as well while you are doing this, the awareness of the potential bias is the starting point. In a sense that um, um, your bias as, an as, a, as a person doing interpretation uh, and also uh, the interviewee very often consciously you know, omits certain elements in order to present you one story. Right? And this process of omission, this process of silencing is something what you should be actually looking for. And uh, uh, that's why Passerini is saying that lie is a form of communication. Omission is a fine form of communication. Silencing certain aspects of the story is a, is a, a, a form of uh, communication. And when you are doing this uh, uh, interpretation, then it is the reflexivity in making. So this is a constant <coughs> loop between the text and yourself. Yourself reflect uh, positioning and thinking about the uh, about the interviewee. Uh, so basically, the, the, you have to solve the most important dilemma, which had been addressed by this pretty funny chart, which I like a lot, uh, that you are uh, doing the positivist interpretation or the radicalist interpretation. The positivist interpretation is saying that this is a the text, the interview is basically a mirror reflection of the reality. Right? So the person is experiencing a certain event and then telling you the story. Right? So that's basically a mirror interpretation. And then this is a data, an untouched data. And um, then this kind of uh, uh, positivist mirror reflectionist interpretation is very often used, especially after 1989, uh, when certain traumatic stories had been uh, uh, discovered. And uh, the, uh, these are the stories which are used for uh, political by political movements for certain uh, identity uh, quests. So if you look at the stories of uh, the survivors of the Gulag, for example, you very often see this kind of interpretation. Right? That this had been experienced, this has been told, that is the truth, we have got a movement. Right? So this kind of very simplistic kind of one-to-one -one interpretation is a legitimate political move. But I would argue that there are some other untapped possibilities in those interviews. And that is the kind of radicalist interpretation, which is... Um, using the uh, uh, kind of uh, constructionalist interpretation that's saying that everything is a construction. Everything is a construction, and uh, uh, the narratives are not representing the truth, but they are representing certain realities. And it basically rejects the dominant discourses and looking at different levels of, of interpretation. So, 
in this inter, uh, but I would like to argue that, uh, that in the positivist and the radicalist interpretation, there is a middle way, which I particularly find in my work meaningful, and that is the interactionist tradition, which is actually looking at the interactions of these two uh, traditions, uh, uh, how the uh, different narratives are actually constructed through the narrative, through the social context. Um, and uh, uh, this is a quote from Silverman, who is saying that we, our purpose is to generate data which uh, 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 give an authentic insight into people's experiences. And the question of authenticity is the main question here, right? So how can you say that this is authentic? The authenticity always comes from the interview because you are never in a position to say that that is a lie, that's not authentic. Because I was arguing previously that lie is a form of communication. So no matter that you know that this is a lie, it is not true, but the untruth is also a form of communication. Because the interview is a symbolic interaction. And uh, uh, so this interaction produces a knowledge which is necessarily the interaction between the interviewee, the interviewer, the social world, the cultural code. So it's a very complex uh, interaction which, is, uh, should, which should be uh, understood in this intersubjective depths, how this intersubjective depth is constructed to create a deep mutual understanding. So we are looking at the different levels of representation, how these certain events, feelings, people, whatever, are represented in those stories. So what can we look uh, at when we are looking at the, uh, the representation? First of all, how the storyteller cuts or shapes the story, right? So how these stories are actually uh, uh, discussed. Uh, also about the categorization. So, you know, what kind of adjectives are being used, saying that that was a good feeling when I went to see X, right? So then the good should be somehow highlighted, right? Either on your computer or with your highlighter, because that is a clue. Right? How the interviewer is actually uh, making a sense of his or her work. You are looking at the typology of the stories. The typology of the stories, which, you know, what kind of stories? Is it a Finnish story or it's an unfinished story? Is it a Polish story or is it a rough story? Is it a, can you identify the genre of the story or you cannot? Uh, what are the different parts of the story? Because you can have a story which is consisting of different uh, uh, genres. Is there a wholeness of the story? Is it a beginning, a middle, an end, and a conclusion? Right? Uh, of course, these stories are actually dependent on wh whom, who, who is telling this story to whom and when. And uh, of course, the interviewee's response depends on age, gender, class, race, practical concerns, what happens with the interview, uh, epistemological concerns, and theoreticals as, one, as well. So uh, therefore, let me stress again, which I have been stressing constantly, that establishing the rapport and trust are crucial 
in order to have uh, good stories, because otherwise you have got a thing which is called failed interview. And you know, oral historians have got lots of stories about failed interviews. When you have got the interviewee just saying yes and no, and then a big silence. Um, so this uh, kind of uh, uh, interviews, what can you do with the oral history material? So I will give you a list, a checklist, right? What you should be doing. And that will be like eight different uh, points I would like to stress when you are actually having your transcript in your hands. So the first thing what you have to do is uh, absorb yourself in the data. Read, reread, reflect, think, make notes, use highlighter, whatever. So this is the first that you are actually spending a lot of time with reading and uh, and rereading the, the oral history material. And you are actually making notes, right? And you are using highlighters. So that is the first thing, that you are actually absorbed in the material. You are highlighting within the text, between the text, uh, and you are comparing the transcript with your research notes. Because when you were doing the interview, you had your notes on, your, on the side, and this will be the most interesting resource when you are actually trying to contextualize the material. And you are constantly asking yourself that, um, is this research interesting? And when you are asking this very stupid question, you, this should be informed by your knowledge of knowing the previous research, the context, and your interviewee, right? So when you are asking this question that is this meaningful, then you are looking at the um, previous uh, uh, researches and you are actually cross-checking it with that previous research. You are comparing contrasting with the previous research. And you are actually asking the question, what is new here? What is meaningful here? What did I find? Right? These are the questions. And you are also asking the question, what are the biases I can detect? Your own bias, the informant's bias, uh, the disciplinary and research questions. So what are those biases? So, uh, so absorb the data, annotate the copy, keep the research notes, ask yourself the question, what is representative, what is not, and then you are actually asked to build a theory. And this is always you know, the most difficult one, how you are actually building a, a theory. And uh, I just would like to encourage you not to fear from this concept of building theory. It sounds like you know, something what you know, middle-aged white men are doing in tenure position, but I just would like to encourage you to, to think about this. So first is to take your case study and compare it with other case studies, right? This is the starting point. And then you can test and generalize with other um, stories. And how does that differ? How is that similar with other case studies? And 
when you have that, so this is your case study with other case studies, and then you are looking at the wider context in which this kind of comparison is happening. And then you are looking at the interactions between the wider context and your case study, the wider context and the other stories. And based on that, you can actually make statements. And then you are piercing together certain themes which are in the case study. So first you have the case study and then you are kind of, you go deeper and you divide the case study into certain themes, topics, and genres, right? So it is like having a third dimension of this kind of the, the discussion. So then you are actually looking at how this case, what kind of themes, topics, genres are there in these case studies. And then those case studies you actually use as a comparison. And then again, you frame it in the social and cultural context. So what do we learn from this, right? You are always asking the question, why are you doing this? What is new? And what can you actually learn from this process? And um, are there any patterns which are emerging? Uh, what do these patterns suggest? What kind of genre? And uh, what kind of uh, cultural stories are emerging? Uh, and um, uh, what is the plot? Right? If you uh, can recall the uh, differentiation between the, uh, uh, the summary and the plot. And what are the genres which are emerging? What are the cultural practices? What are the beliefs? So you are constantly interrogating the text. So you are not taking the text as it is, but you are actually asking questions constantly. And um, then you make a decision about yourself. And this decision is how you are representing yourself as an author in the text. And um, you can offer this theory, what you actually uh, uh, got, uh, how, to, how this had been abstracted from the data. Or you can show your own organization of the data and tell your story. Or you can construct themes and tell the themes what you have actually found, or you just present the person's story without an intervention, right? So you have got theories, you have got themes, you have got the person's story. So these are the, but it is your decision as a narrator, a narrator, and this decision should be based on a critical reflection on yourself and on your own biases. And, uh, Therefore, the uh, intersectionality as a uh, kind of analytical tool and also as an uh, investigative uh, tool uh, needs to be taken into consideration, and also the concept of agency, who is telling what kind of stories. And uh, basically, why we are doing this uh, uh, oral history is to give this voice to those who had been marginalized. And this giving the voice had been problematized in the previous uh, sessions as well, but still your decision to choose this topic or to invest energy in this particular discussion basically is a political decision. So, that, but to be a, a good uh, 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 
listener, you have to, uh, when you are doing this kind of uh, political work, you have to be a good listener, first of all. And uh, uh, let me stress again uh, the importance of the report, uh, the confidentiality, and the non-judgmental responses. And um, we have, and basically the point is to understand how and why the stories are produced, how they can be honest and intelligent based for theorizing about social life. Because theorizing about social life is what the analysis of oral history is. And that complexity that you are actually starting a project with a political and academic interest, then basically ends up with a written material, right? And this written material, which is your MA thesis or your coursework, actually contributes to a critical academic knowledge production. And I wish you all possible luck and joy to this.